The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, second service. How's everybody doing? You know this is God's favorite service, right? You know that? You know it is? It's in the Bible. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. So if you want to be a winner, come to the second service, right? So congratulations. We're all winners this morning. How's everybody? You doing good? I cannot see you, and I like it this way. This is awesome. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Hey, we're glad you're here. By the way, if you're, it's your first time this morning, uh, somehow you found out that we started two services today, and we're honored that you are here. And uh, we'd love to just high-five you after the service, say thanks for coming to Story City, and uh, give you a gift after the service, all right? Hey, we are beginning a brand new series today. <clears throat> We're in the book of Jonah. This series title is called The Ever-Chasing God, and I am so pumped. I'm, I'm, ec- I'm ecstatic about preaching through this book. I've wanted to preach through it for a long time, and it's a very personal book to me, and I believe it's going to be very good in the life of our church. So if you have a copy of the scriptures this morning, if it's not on your phone, if it's on your phone, turn it on. If it's not on your phone, turn it to the book of Jonah this morning. Where is the book of Jonah? It's between Obadiah and Micah. Pastor Matt, that doesn't help me. Go to Matthew, take a left, eight books, and you'll find Jonah. Pastor Matt, that doesn't help me either. Well, if that doesn't help you, then go to the table of contents, and there is no shame in that game to find the book of Jonah. All right, let me pray for us, and then we're just going to jump right into the ever-chasing God. Lord, thank you for today. God, this is your word. Uh, it speaks powerfully to us, Lord. And I pray, pray, God, that today, in this moment, Lord, that you have appointed for us to hear from the scriptures. God, you would speak very heavily to our hearts, God, and inform us how now we should live. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. It's never happened before and will never happen again. So let us not take it for granted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. amen. And amen. You know, part of the vision for uh, this church that we call Story City Church is to be a church that um, reminds people and propels people into this idea that your life, humanity, was created for much more than just the life that you presently live. And so we, we want to encourage you. We want to encourage, as long as God would allow us to faithfully shepherd this church, to remind people that you were created for something much more than just this moment and the life that you live. I personally believe that life takes on way more meaning and way more purpose whenever we, our life is embedded in the mission of God. Um, and so for us this morning, when we journey through the book of Jonah, we begin today, uh, we begin this journey to figure out what it is like to live a life that's embedded in the mission of God. And it's an incredible and an exciting journey today. Can I tell you what the vision of this church is not? The vision of this church is not that you just come and you sit and you hear me speak every single Sunday. Good grief. You got more important things to do. Um, the vision of this church is not for you just to come and listen to worship leaders sing songs. The vision is really embedded in propelling you to live a life of purpose, a full life of purpose. And I really believe with all of my heart that you only do that when you understand the will of God for your life. Now, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Jonah. We're going to start in chapter 1, and we're going to make our way to the end of chapter 1. And we're going to try to do this series in four weeks, because there's four chapters, and it's going to be a bit of a challenge. As I learned at the first service this morning, I did not get all the way through my notes, but that's okay. And uh, I believe this morning is going to be good for us. Now, 
Let me do a little bit of introduction and uh, just to introduce us to the book here. And I think it's important for us to understand what's happening before we just dive into it. Now, even if you've never been to church before, and we have people often that come to Story City that have never been to church before, even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard about the book of Jonah. And probably what you've heard is that there's a man that God said, go to this place. And that man said, no. And what happened was a big fish swallowed him up. And then for many of us, especially those for us outside of church, we're like, okay, Paul's right here, right? This is a bit far-fetched. Like there's a fish that swallowed a man. Like how is that even humanly possible. I asked my son this morning as I was reading over my notes, I said, hey, Deacon, does, it, does uh, this sound weird to like think about a fish that swallowed a human being? He's like, yeah, dad, that's really weird. And uh, I know that's strange for most of us. And so for some of us, we're like, we live in this tension. Like, how do I read the book of Jonah? Because there's like this miraculous thing that happens and it's hard to comprehend what God would be trying to say because I can't get over a man in the belly of a fish, a whale, whatever it may be. Um, let me just say right up front this morning, if that's hard for us to comprehend, and I'm not downplaying it, saying it's not, I would just want to remind us of a few things. The book, the text that we are reading from, in Genesis chapter 1, in the first three verses, we see a God who speaks galaxies and worlds and everything we know into existence by what? What does it say? By the word of his what? Mouth. And then we jump over into Luke chapter 2, and we see this same God who spoke galaxies into existence is now coming to earth, born of a woman who is a virgin, and we have this miraculous birth. God himself in flesh was born of a woman who's a virgin. And then we fast forward the tape even further after Jesus is healed. He's raised people from the dead. He's at the end of his life. Now he's crucified. He's put in a grave. And the grave is sealed off with this tomb that would take multiple men to remove the, the stone from the tomb. And then at the end of three days after he's been buried, the scripture tells us Jesus, God, born of a woman who is a virgin, died, went to a grave, is no longer dead, but now he is alive and he sits at the right hand of God. Now, let me tell you something. <clears throat> the book that we read from this morning is a miraculous book. It is a supernatural book. And if we can believe that the God who's found in these pages spoke galaxies into existence, it's not far-fetched to believe that something like this could happen. Um, in fact, uh, Billy Graham, the famous evangelist who's now in his upper ages, said that if God had told me that Jonah swallowed the fish, I would have believed him. And I would say the book that we read from is a miraculous, supernatural book, and we need to press into that as we read the story. So knowing that, then Pastor Matt, how do we read the book of Jonah? Is the book of Jonah a parable? Like, do we just read it as a story that's being told, but it didn't really happen, and we just draw and extract some things from it? Well, let me say this. Jonah was a real person. We know that from the book of 2 Kings. He was from a town called Gath Hefer. His dad was named Amittai. He was a real person, 2 Kings. He was a prophet who succeeded Elijah and Elisha in Matthew chapter 12, Luke chapter 11. Elisha is mentioned by Jesus, and Jesus should know that Moses, I mean, not Moses, that Jonah was a real person. So we don't read the book of Jonah as if it's just some fable that we extract a great principle from that God is trying to teach us. We take this book literally as this literally happened, and from that, how can we extract what God wants to say? 
Now, if that doesn't freak you out, just suspend whatever else you like got going on in your mind, and let's just read the book of Jonah, and I pray this morning it will speak deeply to you. Um, Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, preach in the city, for their wickedness has come up before me. Let me tell you how we're going to approach this whole book today. Um, typically, I like to open up a message with a big illustration that will drive us into the thought, the theme for the day. When we preach narrative and I mean, uh, we preach narrative and story, the story will often provide the illustration for us. And so, over the course of this series, I want to allow the text to illustrate for us what it is God wants to say. So, in doing that, I'm literally going to read through the passage together with you. We will pause and speak as to what God wants to say to us. Now, let's pause here in the first two verses. The story is this. The word of God came to Jonah. What's happening here? This is the revealed will of God for the prophet named Jonah. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that this was the purpose and the plan for this guy named Jonah for this particular time in his life. Can I say this to you this morning? Every seat that's filled here... God has a purpose and a plan for your life. God oftentimes will call special people to special places for a special purpose. Romans chapter 12 tells us, no, uh, do not be conformed, but be transformed so that you may find and follow and prove what the will of God is for your life. I believe Every person who is a believer should press into the heart of God and say to God and ask God, God, what is your will, your purpose, your plan for my life personally? And we don't have to guess here what God has said to Jonah. He said, go to Nineveh. What is it about Nineveh that's so crazy? Why? If we know the story, we know we did, he didn't go initially. Well, Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. Nineveh... Uh, the people of Nineveh were, um, they were like the modern-day Nazi Germany. They were modern-day ISIS. They were known for their cruelty in history books that are written about them, and they wrote about themselves. They bragged on their cruelty. They were people that would rip the lips and the, and the ears off of the, their enemies. They would invade towns, and they would cut heads off and stack the heads at the entrance of the gates of those towns, and they would place a sign that says, this is what happens when you rebel against the kingdom of Assyria. They were a brutal people. They were an extraordinarily cruel, inhumane society. And what makes this even worse for Jonah the prophet was that Jonah and his people, the Israelites, were the targeted enemies of the Assyrians. Israel was made um, um, to be um, in the bullseye of a very cruel and inhumane people. And so we understand here that Jonah is, is asked by God to go preach to them. What is Jonah asked to preach about? Well, we don't have to guess. We know in Jonah chapter 3, God says, <clears throat> what I want you to say to them is, when you show up, I want you to tell them, in 40 days, unless you turn to God, Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, think about this for a moment. The prophet Jonah, 
One of the targeted enemies of Assyria is asked to go to a cruel and inhumane people and tell them your kingdom is about to be overthrown because you are extraordinarily evil, right? Let's just be honest. Let's, that's God really, I mean, like, come on. Like, that's an extraordinarily difficult call and ask that you've placed on my life. Do you, can you blame Jonah, really? Like, can we honestly look at Jonah and be like, okay, Jonah, I cannot fathom why you ever say no to God, right? Jonah is, is, Jonah, Jonah is bitter towards the people from Assyria. Uh, let's pull it back in to this room this morning. Um, I realize this is a strange statement because we don't often talk about like, like seeking what God's will is for our lives, especially like these big, broad categories. Like if God asks you today, um, I want you to leave Burbank today, Sherman Oaks, uh, Los Angeles, wherever you live, and I want you to go to X. For some of us, like that place would be like, uh, you know, like the place where they persecute Christians. For some of us, it'd be like uh, in my hometown, right? Like, like, like if God asked you to leave today and go to X, like that's a scenario that Jonah is facing. It was dangerous for Jonah, sort of unsettling in his heart, and yet that was what God had asked Jonah to do. It wasn't easy. Can I say to you this morning, God may call you to things. I believe, I believe it's essential and vital that you ask God what the purpose and plan for your life is. And when you do, he may ask you to do some things you would have never planned and purposed for your life. Years ago, somebody called me in this state and said, will you come be our middle school pastor, and I literally said to him and to myself, I'm never going to come to California. <laughs> God may call you to things that you never would have planned for your life. And so God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, this extremely inhumane society, and I want you to preach to them. Now, verse 3, this is what it says. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. I'm going to come back to that here at the end today as we wrap up what we're talking about. And he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So now listen to this. He went, I have these words underlined in my Bible. So he went down to Joppa and he found the ship which was going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This is the beginning of Jonah's rebellion. He's from a town called Gath-Hefer. It's about a 50-mile walk from his town to the port city that still exists today just outside Tel Aviv in Israel. About a 50-mile walk by foot to Joppa just to find a ship that may be going anywhere except for where God said to go. God says, Jonah, I want you to go east. Jonah stands up and says, God, I'm going west. He leaves Gath-Hefer. He walks down to Joppa. And the scripture says he just so happens to find a ship that was ready and where it was going was to Tarshish. Now, um, historians, archaeologists, most people believe that Tarshish, we're not exactly sure, but we believe it's on the southern tip of Spain and it's about a 2,000-mile journey from Joppa. This is the picture of a man who wants to run from God. And so the wording here is beautiful. How it's, the, the literary structure here is, is just beautiful. But we have this prophet who's theologically accurate in his mind. Like, like 
He's, he's running from the presence of God. What do you mean he's running from the presence of God? Jonah understood the omnipresence of God. In other words, wherever I am, God is. Wherever I am not, God also is. Psalm 139, 7, where can I go to flee from your presence, God? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are also there. Jonah knew, theologically, I cannot get away from God. Now, there's a nuance here that we're going to come back to at the end, and I think it's very important for us to understand but, but just think about this for a moment. Everything in the book of Jonah, everything, the wind, the sea, the sailors, the fish, the Ninevites, everything in the book of Jonah obeys God, <laughs> except for Jonah. Do you really think, like, like, like do you, what do you think Jonah's thinking in his mind? Somebody asked me after the first service, what do you think Jonah is thinking? Do you think he's trying to end his life? I think what Jonah is thinking is, I'm ripping up my ordination papers. God, you are done with me. I am done with you. I'm running from you. So this is it. This is our breakup. We are over. <clears throat> and so he runs from the presence of God. Can I say to you this morning as a side note, I really want to try to wrap this up at the end, but you can run from a particular call of God on your life, but you can never run from the presence of God in your life. And let me just bring it down from these broad categories of like life-altering circumstances for you and just say, what about this week? Were there places in your life where you boarded a ship, you fleed to Tarsus, Tarsus to be away from the presence of God? Like were there moments, like even conversations you had, you would have never had if you were conscious of the presence of God in that moment, the things you would have saw, places you would have gone this week had you been innately just, just sustained by the presence of God in those moments. Like we think these broad categories. God called me to California. God, I'm not going to California. I'm going to the Bahamas, so you can do whatever you... No, no, but the, the, this moment. Have we run from the presence of God this week? Is there somewhere in your life where you are able to take your life into your own hands and you're able to flee from God to Tarshish, your business, your home, your relationships, your wife, your kids, your finances, how you respond to neighbors? Is your life a picture of the constant awareness and consciousness of God? I am a pastor who stands before you today and says to you, I have not passed this test fully and sliding you the answers today. I am in this with you. There are moments in my life, even this week, where I would say, God, I, I flee from your presence in this moment. So Jonah boards a ship and sails 2,000 miles, at least he intends to, away from the presence of God. God's this way. Jonah's going this way. And let me just make pause and make this statement, and then we'll just move on. I find it interesting that he found the ship that was ready. <laughs> he found the ship that was ready to take him where he wanted to go. Sometimes in life, maybe you're, you're, you're trying to be in tune to the will of God for your life, and all of a sudden, the easiness or hardness of a circumstance is the influence on your life as to whether or not which direction you're going to go. Like, this is all lining up, God, so apparently this is the direction that you are sending me. 
And I want to say to you, the easiness or the hardness of your circumstance or scenario is not necessarily an indication of the will of God for your life. The primary responsibility of the enemy, the devil, the Satan, the adversary, the one who, who roars like a lion, he's, pri- he's looking to devour. The primary responsibility of the enemy is to provide transportation for you when you want to run from God. The ship was ready for Jonah. Surely that must be God saying, I'm okay with this plan of action. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to carry you there. That's the way sin works. What do you mean? There's always a person, a woman, a man for your lust. There's always material things for your greed. The way sin works, the way the enemy works is that he will always provide the transportation when you want to run from God. That's his goal. Verse four, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. This word hurled is the same word that is used when King Saul threw a spear at David. There's this forceful idea of God imposing his will on the scenario. Now, don't confuse this moment with, see, if I run from God, he's extraordinarily angry with me. Not what's happening here. The purpose of the storm in your life is not to pay you back. Look at me in the eyes, please. I can't see you, but I'm trusting you're looking at me. The purpose of the storm is not to pay you back. It's to bring you back. So God hurls this great storm into the sea. And it says that it was so great that the ship was about to break up. Jonah's understanding in this moment that you cannot successfully run from God. By the way, the God who can calm the storm in this moment is also the God who can stir up the storm in your life. I think this is a uh, a, a valid, I don't think, I know this is a valid question to ask when you are experiencing a chaotic storm in your life. God, why is this happening? Is it because I have run from your presence? It doesn't mean that God always works that way. But what it does mean is that maybe the storm in your life is a result of a running from God. And God in his grace and his kindness, this is where the book is going. you got to bear with me for the entire series. It's going to be good. This is where the entire book is going. The unrelenting grace of God. Verse 5, feels heavy in here. Just take a deep breath. (laughs) Verse 5, then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. (laughs) It's sort of a, it's funny how God just narrates this situation. Like there's these professional seamen who are up above board on this deck where the winds are blowing, the rains are coming down, the waves are crashing in, and they're having this theological discussion. Like, like every sailor has cried out to his own God. They've, they've consulted their magic eight ball. They've, they've, they've used their prayer cloth that they purchased from TBN. They've got these pickup sticks. Like every sailor is consulting their own God. They're having this theological discussion above board where all of hell is breaking loose and they're saying everybody consult your God maybe the God of this circumstance will pick up the phone and hear us and calm the scenario down 
But then there's this picture of what's going on below board in verse 5. They cried out to their God. They threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, look at this. But Jonah had gone below into the hole of the ship, the hold of the ship, and he laid down and he had fallen asleep. Hell is breaking loose above board. These pagan sailors are having a theological discussion. The prophet of God is below board and everything is copacetic. This word here that's talking about how the sleep that he's engaged in, it gives, he is in such a deep sleep that he is literally snoring. The prophet of God has run from God and he has found the best sleep of his life. This word picture, how this, uh, is, this book is written, it's, it's beautiful. If you could just sort of, if you could, uh, in, in seminary, we would take these phrases and we would, and we would, um, and we would place them in, in, in like this visual word picture to see what's happening in the moment. It comes back and forth. Or, and, and so what's happening here is we get this word play, this word down, and it happens multiple times here in chapter one. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. And we have this idea that Jonah is, because of his sin, he's going further and further away from God. He is in this sleep of death, this spiritual disaster that's happening in his life. It's this picture of this downward progression that sin has caused in his life, and it starts with small disobedience. It's like this. If you've ever been swimming in the ocean or surfing, and you go out, and you're just having a great time, and you've lost track of where you were, all of a sudden you look up like 10 minutes later, and you're like four blocks away from where you started. You know what I'm talking about? Like that that's how sin can affect us, this downward progression, small disobedience. What do you mean by that? I mean that cheating on your spouse at 40 didn't start at 35. It started at 20 when you started looking at pornography. This eating disorder in your 20s didn't start yesterday. It started in middle school when there was all this jealousy that we didn't allow God to deal with. Literally on the way to church this morning at 7.15, I had a conversation with a mom whose daughter has been in Los Angeles in and out of rehab for eight years. She just relapsed last week. She overdosed on drugs. She's in a hospital this morning. She's distraught over how her daughter has just continually gone down and down and down. And she said this, it began when her father died and she ran from God. It's the picture that we get here, down, down, down. Now listen to me. <laughs> this has been kind of heavy right here already, okay? And this first chapter sort of puts this idea out that sin can be destructive and awful, but that's not where this book, if we just stop there, we're like, oh God, let's go home and man, we just bury ourselves in our house and never, come. like that's, that's depressive, but that's not where this book is going. This book has a different ending. And so Jonah has gone down and down. And so then they cast lots. Each man said to his mate, come in verse 7, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us now. On whose account has this calamity struck? And then they ask these series of questions. It seemed like an odd series of questions in the moment. Like, how are these questions going to soothe the scenario we're in? And the questions they ask are, um, 
Where did you come from? What is your occupation? What's your country? From what people are you? Like, like what? Like, what, what does that matter in this moment? And so they begin to ask all these questions. By the way, Jonah has found himself where the captain of the ship, who is a pagan man who does not have a belief in the same God as Jonah, Jonah is sound asleep while hell is breaking loose. The pagan captain comes to him and says, pray to your God, the irony of the moment. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and in The Great Divorce, it describes people who run from God. And the more they run from God, the more opaque they become, the more see-through they become, the, the more of their substance they lose, and the appearance of them becomes sort of see-through. But when people run to God in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes them as becoming brighter, and their lives are like bright colors. That's exactly what happens when we walk with God and we don't run from God. We become more human. We become more alive. We become the right wife, the right friend, the right husband, the right, the, the right uh, dad, the right um, uh, employee. My walk with God affects my kids, my wife, my staff, my neighbors. It's like this, when if you've ever ridden on a plane, and, and I, it's been so long since I've heard it, because by this point, i am always got like the headphones on, and I'm in my own world. But you know what? They, they come on, and they do, the, do this thing, and, it, and there's one part of that. They're like, if we were to lose uh, altitude, or whatever they call it, and then the oxygen mass falls down, what do they tell you to do first? What do you do first? You place the oxygen mass where? On yourself, right? Why? Because if you don't have oxygen, you're going to pass out. You can't help the kid next to you, so he's going to die too. So put the oxygen on first. You be healthy and alive, and then you can place the oxygen mask on the kid sitting beside you. That's what it's like spiritually too. Your sin will affect others. It's never private. It has an effect on those around us. And oftentimes we need a storm to break us from this self-reliance, this grip that we have on our own lives. And God often uses those storms to get our attention. So verse 9, and, and I'm going to be almost done, and I'm going to try to wrap this up. Verse 9 says, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Jonah begins his sermon. The sermon that he's called to preach in Nineveh, he begins it on this ship in the middle of a storm. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah doesn't begin with the cross and God perishing himself for the sins of humanity. Jonah begins at creation. The grace of God doesn't begin at the cross. The grace of God begins with the creator of the universe. He tells these people who can calm the seas and calm the winds and buffet the storms that are surrounding you in this moment. That's where his sermon began. The grace of God is all throughout the book of Jonah, and we're really going to dive into it the further we get into the book of Jonah. But for now, just Keep that in the back of your mind, that the grace of God is all over this picture. Now, for the sake of time, for the sake of time, um, let me just summarize what happens in verse 11 through 17. The sea gets rougher. Um, they say, what, uh, what should we do? Jonah says, throw me overboard. And the gracious, compassionate sailors are like, nope, we're not going to have your blood on our hands. So they start rowing back to dry land. What's funny here, it's this picture of like God has in his 
sovereignty and in his power, he has ordained this moment. He has summoned one fish in the entire ocean to come and to swallow Jonah. And so they are rowing back to dry land to drop Jonah off on the land because they don't want his blood on their hands. And we get this picture. They're literally rowing against God. The power of God can intervene in your storm to bring you back. And so they're rowing back and they don't get there and they give up. And so finally they're like, okay, we're going to throw Jonah overboard. And then all of a sudden, Jonah is like, whew, it's finally over. (laughs) And then he gets gulped by a fish. And that's where chapter one ends for us. Now let me make some observations to you this morning from Jonah chapter one. And I'm not going to be able to get all the way through it, but I'll just bring us to the cliff and let you yearn for more, hopefully. Let's make some observations. Jonah chapter one, listen to me. Jonah shows us how easy it is to obey God in most of life. You say, Pastor Matt, that just went right over. I didn't get that from the story. What do you mean? Because what I saw was a man who didn't want to do what God said. So what do you mean how it's easy to obey God in most of life? Well, we just got Jonah in one circumstance, one particular call on his life. Jonah's an upstanding man. He's a prophet of God who is the mouthpiece of God. We just get this one particular circumstance where he's facing a dilemma. The dilemma is, I go to Nineveh, I preach, the people of Nineveh repent, and God forgives them. That's bad for me, Jonah says, because I am an enemy of Nineveh. I'm also in danger of, if God forgives them and does not destroy them, I'm in danger of losing my identity as a prophet of God in the nation of Israel. But if I also go to Nineveh and I preach and the people do not repent, I mean, do not repent, then that means they're going to take my life. This is a cruel and inhumane society. Preach, they repent, God forgives them. We know from the book of Jonah, that was Jonah's fear. He was afraid that God would forgive them. He's a patriot in Israel, and he loved his people, his countrymen, and he wanted nothing more than for the people of Assyria to be wiped out. Then on the other hand, if the Ninevites don't repent, then they take his life. So what we find here is that Jonah's in this dilemma, and if he obeys, he loses his life. If he doesn't obey, I mean, if he obeys, he loses his life, or he loses what's most important to him, his status, his position, his identity as a prophet of God. Listen to me. Jonah would obey God when it didn't require and exact much of his life. We're in church this morning. Even though it's Southern California, a post-Christian secular culture, because we're in church this morning, I would probably venture to say that most of us attempt to obey God in most things in our life. Can I ask you, though, this morning, what about when it's costly? Like, I know that sounds even strange to, to say, like, costly, like, it's the home of the land of the free, home of the brave. Like, like, what does it cost me to be a Christian in my country? No, 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 like, really, like, 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 like when it's exacting something from you, even when it takes things from you, the things that are most precious to you and those things that define your sense of identity, what about following God in those moments? 
Because most of my life, I'm going to try to follow God. But there's a few circumstances, God, when it's going to exact something from me. You're, you're asking a bit much from me. Can I share with you that the reason why I am excited about preaching the book of Jonah? This is personal, but I am Jonah. Now, I'm, that's not a, this, I mean, Matt Lawson, pastor. I'm Jonah. This has been one of the most difficult seasons of my life. Lonely. There are moments when I just want to be a mailman. <laughs> Deliver the mail, come home to my kids, eat a nice dinner, drink a cold glass of LaCroix, <laughs> kiss my kids goodnight, watch Sports Center, go to bed in a deep sleep, not worried about anything else. No more nights out at 10 p.m. No more investment into the lives of people whose lives are spinning out of control. I'm just telling you this morning, I'm Jonah. And there are moments when I want to run from God myself. Verse 3 gives us insight as to what's really happening in those moments. Verse 3 says, Jonah boarded a ship to run from the presence of God. Not the physical presence. God's omnipresent. The word for presence is panim. It's face. Jonah was running from the face of God. Like, Jonah was running from the having the difficult moment of looking God in the face and saying, God, I know this is not what you want. I, I cannot look you in the, it was a, a moment of embarrassment and I don't want your relationship in this moment. I know I'm going somewhere where you are, but God, I cannot look you in the face in this moment. I am done with this relationship because what you have asked me is extraordinarily difficult. wanted to be away from the face of God. He wanted to obey God and have the presence of God in those things where when it meant going one way it was okay if it didn't exact much from him, but it, when it meant going another way and it was very personal and difficult, he chose to stay with what he loved. Following God, even in difficulty, is an indication of how valuable you think the face of God is to you. I pray that you have some of those moments in your life. I pray that you have some difficult moments where you have to evaluate. How valuable is the face of God to me? I know, I know. This is not your will, God. Daniel 3, three Hebrew men. Obey God, get thrown in the furnace, die by the fire. Disobey God, follow the Babylonians, and live. The question is, when the flame is sort of turned up, 
Like, is the face of God so valuable that you would rather be in the flame with God or outside of the flame without God? That's a tough, that's a tough question to answer. Exodus chapter 33, I love this verse. God tells Moses to go again. Moses says to God, God, do not let me go if your presence does not go with me. No, God, I know you're there theologically. You're there. But God, what I'm, what I'm hoping for is that when I walk through this difficult scenario that you're asking me to go to, I want to know that I can look into your face and you can tell me like the good father you are, it's okay. I don't have enough time to finish up the message, so I'm going to stop here. <laughs> There's another great part of this that I wanted to get into in chapter one, but it's a beautiful picture of Jesus being the greater Jonah and how his power can overwhelm our sin. And the scenario that we get into here is that as a follower of Jesus, we have these moments where this is God's will for us and we can just outright rebel. Jonah chapter one, that's where Jonah is. God, I know that's your will, I'm not doing it. Jonah three and four, the second choice is, God, I know your will, but I'm gonna do it and I'm not happy to do it. Jonah three and four. There's a third option though. It's gospel-transformed obedience. How can I stare God in the face knowing this is what he's asked of me and not just walk in the way of it, but do it with a joyful heart? It's this idea of an overwhelming, profound experience of grace that allows me to walk in gospel-transformed obedience. I don't believe that because of one sermon we will walk out of an auditorium and be like, boom, that's where I am. I'm just telling you, I'm not always there. And there are a lot of days when I'm like Jonah 3 and 4. God, I'm going to do it, but I'm not happy. Gospel transformed obedience is developed through a profound experience of grace. That means in your storm today, whenever it gets chaotic, the storm is not meant to pay you back. God paid his own son back. The storm is to bring you back. With a face and presence, of God. Let's pray. God, you're a good father. Jesus, I pray that you'd help us make sense of these difficult 
moments in our life that, God, you promise your purpose and your plan for us is good. But God, it doesn't always seem like that. And Jesus, when it doesn't seem like that, I pray that a profound experience of grace, a reminder that you are the greater Jonah. You went into the depths of the sea and absorbed the wrath of God. You came out three days later, defeated death. In your power and your glory, you call us to your face and your presence. And I pray that we would be a people who can, with full integrity in our hearts, can say, God, I'm, I want to follow you because I know I can look you in the eyes and in the face the one who saved me and called me, and it will be okay. God, let us not be a people who run from you, but a people who run to you. In Jesus' name.